You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. I'm really excited this morning to be able to um, introduce uh, Jesse Knippel and Steve Feckety. Um, and they're going to be sharing with us this morning. Um, this is actually really cool. Uh, Jesse is a PhD candidate at Claremont, and uh, Steve uh, graduated with his master's from Fuller, and they've been collaborating on a project together, and they're going to share more about what that is and their research in this process and journey that they've been on. Um, but just two days ago, uh, they received word that uh, they were uh, their paper was being published. They got that uh, publication uh, notification, which is fantastic, and they've um, submitted that and are um, waiting back for the adaptation of uh, a book as well for this project. And so, uh, it's really great that in this small community that we are, we are so well connected to things happening around here. And so very much in line with who we are at Central. They're going to be sharing about um, deconstruction and their journeys and the research and work that they've been doing in that area. So will you join me in welcoming Jesse and Steve? we got to get situated. Okay, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, so. This working? Cool. So yeah, we, as Bob said, we've spent the last two years working and studying um, the process of deconstruction and reconstruction and uh, specifically looking at what does it look like for community and support systems and things like that to occur around uh, people who are going through journeys of uh, changing their belief systems and critic uh, critically looking at sort of the uh, systems of belief that they grew up in and um, or have had for some period of time and how that is shifting and where support and community is found around those things. Um, so this is gonna be sort of an informal uh, conversation more so than sort of a typical uh, talk that Aaron gives or that other people give when they're up here. Um, but we're gonna spend a little bit of time sort of talking about our own stories, just a few minutes each, and then a little bit about our research and some of the thoughts that have come out of that. And then hopefully we'll have a little bit of discussion with everybody here around uh, your own journeys or around questions or thoughts that come up from what we're talking about. Um, so Jesse, you want to go ahead? So, uh, whew, okay. Um, so I am a third generation white evangelical, which may be a phrase that we've heard um, Aaron, people around here, or you've heard in the news, because it's been a lot of notions of what is white evangelicalism and why do they have control of the country. Um, and I'm also a third generation white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Republican I am not a Republican, but my family is. I want to make that distinction very clear. As soon as I could vote, I was like, I'm not voting Republican. Um, so in that, I really come out of the um, evangelical context that is so heavily dominant in our politics and in um, control of our country right now. Um, I wanted to share a story about my own process of leaving that because I've been deconstructing since I was probably five or six. 
which is early to start going, wait, this doesn't make sense. Um, so when I was in my mid-20s after undergrad, which I went to a uh, evangelical school in Seattle called the Seattle Pacific University, um, I went to a master's program, and in that program, um, I, my first term there, my professors were like, you know there's a history of universal Christianity and there's a history of um, notions of Christianity that don't have such a locked notion of who's saved, who's not saved, heaven and hell, all those things in my, and I was like, what? My, my whole experience leading up to that was like, no, you have to be a white, straight, Republican, to be a Christian, right? Um, also in this program, we had a class called Essential Community, and we would have a, a variety of leaders throughout the community in Seattle, religious leaders come and talk. So we'd have an imam, or we'd have um, a, a rabbi, or we'd have a um, Pentecostal pastor, we'd have a charismatic Catholic. And one of the people in that group for one of our classes that we had was the head of the Christian Coalition in Washington, which is a conservative, fundamentalist, um, evangelical group that really advocates for what they quantify as personal marriage. Um, they're very, in their language, pro-life. I would say they're pro-birth. Um, and he looked at our class, and he's supposed to be there for discussion. And he tells a story about Jehovah's Witnesses coming and witnessing to his house, and he's sitting there, isn't this ironic because I have the truth and they don't? And in that moment, um, I was struck by how ironic it was that he had such a certainty against somebody else's certainty. Um, and then he looked at our class and said, and you're all going to hell because the head of your student body is gay and openly gay. And that was a catalytic moment in my deconstruction where never before had I had the experience of saying, if this is God, I don't want anything of God. Um, and so those narratives are kind of what pushed me even further in deconstruction. But I also had um, this experience of stories and narratives and art being really fundamental to my development, because both my parents are also artists as well as being conservative evangelicals. How that works, I don't know, but it did. Um, and so art was always a space where I could encounter this broad notion of the divine. And it's one of the reasons I still study religion, and it's one of the reasons why story is so fundamental to me and so fundamental to the research we're doing. Um, I also was raised in the 80s in the Northwest in fundamental evangelicalism with all of the apocalyptic um, religious rights, uh, purity culture stuff, and so I have a lot of trauma. And where part of my interest in our research comes from is really advocating for processing my own trauma from that space. Yeah, so uh, my own, for my own story, um, I don't have a lot of the religious trauma that, um, that Jesse has and other people that we've talked to and other people that are uh, going through their own processes of reconstruction or, or deconstruction have. Um, I grew up uh, when I was younger outside Chicago uh, and I was raised Catholic and very much in a, um, I think sort of a typical Catholic household. We went to church every single week. Uh, I did all the sort of trappings of Catholicism. I had my first communion, did reconciliation where you ask for forgiveness from, uh, through a priest, uh, did my communion or my um, confirmation you know, Sunday school every week, just very, very structured within the Catholic faith. And I, I can remember when I was young, 
trying to imagine what God was like and picturing God as this concept, this being that was really, really far away, but had no bearing on my life in the day that I didn't really care to be in the here and now, with the exception of the fact that since I was constantly doing stuff wrong, I had to always ask for forgiveness. Um, but I juxtaposed that, I juxtaposed that with my best friend who, um, him and his family went to uh, one of the largest mega evangelical megachurches, uh, which is in the Chicagoland area. And uh, I would go to some youth events with him and things like that. And there, there was a completely different understanding of God where my best friend had a best friend and that guy's name was Jesus. And they were hanging out all the time, right? And they were talking and they were in constant communication and really, really embedded in each other's lives and things like that. Um, and so I had this real sort of um, juxtaposing concept of what God could be, or but wasn't for me, but was for other people. And that caused a lot of uh, dissonance in me when I was really, really young. Um, and I always wanted that. I remember always craving that when I was really young, but, but never being able to quite get there. And I, a lot of that, even from a very young age, was due to doubt and things like that, but um, never quite feeling fulfilled in where I, what I was journeying through um, uh, spiritually as a kid. And so from a young age, from my teenage years, I, started, I sort of walked away from, from faith altogether and started deconstructing uh, what did it look like to be spiritual but to not be engaged in sort of these different aspects of religion. Um, and over that, you know, so really over the course of the last 15 years, I've been involved in some different churches um, and most notably uh, came back to a concept of more a more open Christianity through a church in college uh, in West Michigan where um, there was more open to questioning, to doubting, to issues of each other and of the environment and things like that. Um, and have come through, so not so much within the evangelical structure that we often talk about here, um, but still very much within the same sort of critique and looking at these processes of belief and uh, deconstructing and reconstructing that so many of us are going through here. So our research specifically has been looking at the way in which people who are leaving evangelicalism, those who identify as post-evangelicals or ex-evangelicals, post being a more friendly term for those who are see some value in their in evangelicalism, um, who don't think the whole thing, especially white evangelicalism, needs to be torched. Um, and then ex-evangelicals being much more traumatized people, much more disgruntled people. We've been looking at how community is forming through those monikers and through those um, identifications uh, via some podcasts like The Liturgist, like um, The Airing of Grief, as well as Facebook community groups, and then through Twitter, because Twitter is amazing for people who are leaving, has been this amazing catalyst for people who especially are in spaces like the Midwest and the South where you're not getting as much progressive um, engagement with church or there aren't churches that are um, on the surface welcoming and affirming or critical of um, the Republican uh, religious right fusion with Christianity. Um, as a space for people to go, oh, I'm not the only person who's like feeling like this, or I'm not the only person who's holding this view. Um, social media has really been that space where people can go, oh, I'm not alone, and other people are feeling this, and kind of have that aha moment that I had in grad school. 
Yeah, you know, I think one of the things about being here, right, is that we're in a really lucky space in that we have spaces like this around LA. There's a few different, uh, whether just very progressive churches or spaces like this that are very actively engaged in people going through processes of thinking very deeply about the belief systems that they've been steeped in their whole lives um, and critiquing that and coming out of it on the other side of something different. But obviously for a lot of the rest of the country, uh, you know, for people who live in the middle of Kansas or something like that, there just aren't spaces like this. And so what we discovered early on uh, and what kind of caused us to start doing the research that we do is that there were these online communities um, and specifically a lot of our research focuses around some private community uh, groups on Facebook where people are able to gather and congregate with people all across the country and build very, very real, very solid uh, relationships and uh, bonds between other people to the point that um, they're inviting them to their weddings and they're in they're really becoming a close friend group even though they live in very different parts of the country where they may never meet um, and for us one of the things that we've uh, discovered is that these community groups and these places where people are congregating um, very much meet the needs of what church held for them before they were no longer sort of accepted in their church community. There are places where people celebrate together, where they grieve together, where they encourage each other. They don't necessarily have uh, the music, you know, the worship or the pastor up front, um, but sometimes those are even taken place by the music that they listen to and can share together on Spotify or the podcast that they're listening to and sharing in the messages of, and then they're kind of congregating around a different aspect of what it looks like to be engaged with one another and in relationship with one another. Um, you know, one of the things, though, that has come up as we've been kind of thinking through this and engaging with people is that uh, I think the concept of deconstruction that we talk about a lot, um, for a lot of people when they're going through it, can feel like an end um, or can feel like an ultimate goal. We sort of talk about this uh, periodically here in the church. Um, and as like breaking down our system of belief and getting to the core of it and then sort of existing there. Um, but part of what we talk about and um, our thought process is that deconstruction as itself doesn't really go far enough. Um, uh, I have a metaphor that I like where I like to think about my own faith as the remodeling of a house. Um, and actually you have a picture of the house. <laughs> I mean, you guys know what a house looks like remodeled, but um, yeah, uh, something that's half burnt out. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you when you buy a house and you decide that you're going to remodel it, you start sort of tearing down walls. You know, and you go through and you you go through this process of analysis and thinking through things and sort of appreciating what was there before. And you discover in that, uh, you know, and looking at the blueprints, that some walls are going to be load bearing, and those walls you're going to keep, and some, you know, some studs are going to not be load bearing, and those things you might want to take out. And you can really appreciate the house that was there, and then you tear it all apart. And in that process of tearing it apart, you come across all these issues, right? So there's rot in the floor someplace, there's electrical problems, there's plumbing problems. And while you could just build over that and patch it up, you know that what's going to be built on the other side isn't going to be healthy. So then there's a process of sort of excavating that stuff and dealing with it. And, and that can be a painful process that costs more money, that costs more time and things like that. But ultimately what you're left with is kind of what's in the picture, right? It's just sort of this shell of a house. Um, and it's, it's sort of the bottom of that, that deconstruction is sort of this empty space. Um, and that's not really a space that you want to live in for the rest of your life, right? Um, and so what 
people in the communities that we study and sort of what we are engaged in is thinking through what does it look like to reconstruct an identity and a process of belief and uh, or spirituality and rituals and things like that um, on the other side of that. You know, so that and just to be clear, it's not a linear process either. Uh, you don't, you know, like the where the metaphor breaks down is you don't break down the house and then build it up and then you're set for life. Um, but it's sort of this constant cycle of analyzing things and tearing it apart and thinking through it and building something new and finding what stays, even if that's just going to stay for a period of time, but you might critique it later. Um, but that the rebuilding of that um, process is often sort it's of more under... like a phoenix, right? Where it, it, it dies and then it comes back to life and it dies. It's this notion of resurrection that Ethan was talking about, that it's this ongoing process there. It's not fixed because unlike a house, we bear in our bodies that history of being involved in fundamentalism or being involved in that church community or whatever the space was that traumatized you. And that, that, that sits in your bones and your tissue and your body and it still informs you. So even, you know, 20 years out from your deconstruction, things like the, you know, unmitigated bombing or un, what's the word? Words are hard this morning. Um, the preemptive strike in an unnecessary means triggers that trauma, right? Like, I'm still my six-year-old self going, does this mean the world's ending? Even though I cognitively don't read the text like that, have taken five classes on the text of Revelation to uh, untrigger all of that stuff into my body, but yet my body is still the six-year-old who's being told the end times is happening and you have to be ready to die for Jesus in a horrific way. Cool, that's a good thing to tell a six-year-old. And so that's where our house metaphor breaks down, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the house, once it's redone, is done. But we're still, as embodied beings who bear things in our body, working through and will always be working through the histories that have led us to here where we're not in that space anymore, but they're still informing how we engage. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, and I think part of this that we've come to recognize that seems to be universal across people who are going through these processes are the need to hear each other's narratives. Um, so that's part of the reason why we started off by sort of talking a little bit about our stories. Um, that there is a deep need, especially amongst those of us who are thinking critically about um, what we believe and what we think, to hear the stories of other people. Um, to understand that we're not the only people that are going through these changing of belief systems, these changing of processes, um, and something in that allows us to have a renewed sense of intentionality in our own processes of sort of criticizing and critiquing and things like that as well. Um, the, one of the things that really catalyzed this research for the two of us was the um, podcast, The Airing of Grief by Derek Webb. And in an early episode, is it The Spirit Bears the Curse? Uh, Derek Webb is talking about the fact that even though he, you know, if, so Derek Webb was like one of the lead singers of the band, Cademan's Call, which was a big um, Christian band in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he's since left that band, since divorced his wife, who was a spouse, who was 
in that band with him and has gone through his own deconstruction process, much like a figure like Dave Bazan, if you know Pedro the Lion, has gone through as well. And um, Derek talks about the fact that even though he, he, he would quantify himself as probably an agnostic these days, that he still needs community. Like we are, we are inherently communal beings. Um, and there is something, even as we are leaving a religious space through which we came to via community, we need a community to process out of those religious spaces or out of those toxic religious spaces. Um, so community is very vital to how, we, how we've kind of seen this whole process of being in a space where you're shifting your perspective or you're shifting your worldview or de- um, almost descaling or losing that um, skin and transforming into a, a different notion of worldview and engagement with life and the, in, in the spirituality and the text. Yeah, so, you know, the research really that we did um, and this, this article that Bob mentioned that, that was being published was really about that sense of community and about how people are engaging with that sense of community um, or finding that for themselves. And from there, really what we're thinking around now is how are people rediscovering their own identities and how are people using and thinking about their narratives and the narratives that they're hearing from other people and the support that they're finding around these communities that they're in to, to discover a new sense of identity and new sense of practice and ritual and belief or non-belief um, but within sort of these kind of spaces both physical spaces like you know like we're in here now um, and the virtual spaces that we see online um, and how does that sort of bring about a sense of change one of the things that we find is that in that process of deconstruction there's often a lot of um, it can be very similar to the sort of Kubler-Ross, the processes of grief that we go through, uh, that there's a lot of doubt and a lot of anger, and there can be a lot of bargaining, there can be a lot of fear in that process, and that when people are isolated um, or don't feel like they have that sense of community, it can be very easy to stay in those places. It's very easy to go on Twitter and find Twitter accounts of people who are ex-Christian or ex-evangelicals who are just bitter and angry and wanting, you know, and sort of burning the system down. Um, and that it's in the communities that people are able to process through that. And whether or not they come back to a sense of belief or non-belief or wherever you end up, that that's where sort of that, um, that trauma, those um, ideas can be sort of sussed out and processed through to find something that is renewed on the other side of it. To find sort of like a joy through that process of kind of constant deconstruction and reconstruction. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because there are a group of people who would still identify as Christians who, have, who are pastors who started hashtag burn it all down. And that's a different modality than the people who are just wanting to eradicate religion and kind of become a fundamentalist on the other side of their belief, right? Um, and, and that's part of what we, we look at too is this, um, you know, Pete Rollins, who has spoken here several times, talks about fundamentalism as a continuum, right? So you have the fundamentalist religious people are, are on kind of the same circle as the fundamentalist atheists, right? Because their, their goal is still this um, staunch radicalism of this belief is the only belief versus people who really want the, to see a radical change, who want to 
see people released from something toxic like white supremacy or released from the constructions of patriarchy that silence not only men but women and anybody who doesn't identify as either, right? Um, and so that's, that's also part of this process is the communities that we're looking at are those spaces where all of those people, as long as they're not radical to one notion. You know, we have people in the communities who are former evangelicals who just can't, aren't into religion at all. And we have people who have become Wiccan or pagan. And we have people who are progressive Christians who still find something radically transformative about the person of Christ or the embodiment of Christ in the world, even as they disregard so much of what... Um, especially West, the history of Western Christianity has done through colonialism, through slavery, through racism, through patriarchy, through the exclusion of all of the people who the gospel of Jesus is supposed to be radically good news for. Yeah, and you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, Reconstruction offers us is the ability to, um, after thinking critically about what to keep, to really think openly about what to bring in. Um, or sorry, after thinking critically about what to tear down, to think openly about what to bring in and what to build up, and uh, what is going to be on the other side of um, of that process of, of destruction. Um, and for some people, that might look like finding an identity for the very first time uh, that is different from what they were handed as a child. And for other people, that looks like rediscovering maybe what an identity looks like um, from before they believed or uh, integrated within what what they no longer believe. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, whatever path people are journeying, a lot of it has to do with um, learning for each of us and communally to take ownership over our own processes of belief, right? To really be intentional about thinking about what resonates for us individually, what resonates within the community that we're within and things like that, and to uh, become something whole and something new for ourselves. Um, because otherwise, you know, as we see, as we look around, uh, you know, maybe churches around us or spaces that we kind of discover online and, or places where religion is so integrated or so tied in with, um, with conservative politics and things like that, that without that sense of, in, of really being intentional um, about thinking where we're going to be on the other side, that a lot of integrity and a lot of authenticity can be devoid when you're just kind of in these large masses and things like that. Um, and just kind of going along with the same sort of worship music or sort of um, sermons and things like that that kind of get recycled over and over again um, that don't encourage a lot of thought and don't encourage a lot of belief or, or sorry, encourage a lot of belief, but don't encourage a lot of thought or a lot of um, intentionality into thinking about what you're reading and uh, what you're processing. Um, it's also it something we want to be very clear on. Like the anger and the deconstruction process isn't bad. Like anger is a good thing, right? When it's a tool that catalyzes us towards justice and moves us towards action on behalf of other people or on behalf of our traumatized selves. But living in that space of anger and not moving to space where anger is thing that drives us can be harmful, right? And so what we're talking about, if you're in that early deconstruction process, 
that be there, like go through the process. That's a lot of what we're seeing in our research is it's important to go through the process. And for some of the people we've been researching, we've gotten the opportunity, um, there's a guy named Corey Pegg who runs the podcast Failed Missionary and Corey's worked with the liturgist and things like that. And two years ago when we started researching, Corey was like, I'm done with Christianity. Christianity is ridiculous. And he's since now working with Richard Rohr, who is a progressive, Catholic priest, am I right? Catholic priest, yeah. Um, who does and has been able to enter into Christianity that's radically different from what he had because he allowed himself to go through the process and to walk away or to step away or to take that breath. So I feel like it's important to say like where you are is good and wherever you are on that spectrum and that process is good. Um, but because we talk so much in like radical theology spaces or in spaces like Central about deconstruction, it's important to talk about the fact that deconstruction moves towards something. It's not just a space to be like, um, Trip Fuller, who runs Homebrewed Christianity, talks a lot about the fact that radical theology, which Aaron has, is informed by, we are informed by, Pete Rollins is informed by, isn't a, isn't a theory or a, a theology to, to garner around, but it's a thing that, that helps us critique. And I think that's how we kind of look at de deconstruction process. Deconstruction is the thing that helps us critique so that we can get to a space that is healthier for us, whether that's identifying as somebody who is spiritual or religious or not, that deconstruction is the thing that's catalyzing us towards something that is healthier and more um, holistic in our bodies and in our worldview and in the way in which we engage with the world. Yeah, so uh, let's toss this over to you. Um, I think, you know, I want to hear, if, if you have questions for us, that's great. Uh, you know, we, we've been doing the research, and I've, I think we've talked about that, and if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Um, if not, I want to open a, a discussion up and ask just, like, where are you in your uh, deconstruction or reconstruction journey, and what has resonated with you uh, on the other side of that? What practices? What are you, re you know, what have you read or are reading that's really resonating? What are those things that you're building up on the other side of that tearing down that has really helped you go through that process for yourself? Um, or additionally, if you have questions about our research or about our stories or anything like that, we'd love to hear that as well. Or if you're currently in the tearing down process, what are you finding that's really helpful for you? Because um, not everybody's in the reconstruction process. We can just Nathan, keep talking. Like, yeah. <laughs> Nathan, did you have something? Yeah. Well, while you were talking, I was just reminded of this quote um, from Carl Jung. He says, he whose heart has not been broken over the Lord Jesus Christ drags a pagan around in, inside himself who holds you back from the best. And it's kind of like this idea of everyone is going to have to deal with this, their belief. You know, and if you haven't, if you haven't wept over your belief, then you really didn't believe to begin with. Like if you haven't been broken hearted over what it is that was given to you and then found something new, you're holding, you're, you're being held back from that better thing. And it, to your point, it hurts and it, there's, there's some anger involved in it and it's gut wrenching and painful, but ultimately it's something you have to go through to get to that better place. I just reminded me of that. Yeah, it's very much in line with like that dark night of the soul or um, Meister Eckhart's God rid me of God so that I can experience God. Um, 
this notion that we create construct idols or we construct these images of God, but that's not actually God or that's not the divine, that's just somebody created space that we have to take apart. Thanks, you guys. Um, I'm curious, it's kind of funny, I was, as I was thinking about this question, it kind of turned into um, the, the term seeker sensitive, which some of us are like, ooh, but because uh, I was like, how do you make deconstruction more seeker sensitive? So I'll unpack that a little bit. I feel like um, many of us fell into the stream or maybe started like walking towards this direction then realized that we are now like deconstructing. But to many people hearing that, if they haven't fallen into that already themselves, actually creates like more of a barrier to actually experiencing it, at least in my experience. Um, so I'm just curious, I don't know if your research covers this or what you guys um, going down that line. Um, are there like commonalities or ways that those of us who are experiencing it and more and and see the benefits of it and really have like grown from it are able to help introduce that concept without like scaring people away? Yeah. Um, so I think the the concept of narrative is a huge part of that. There's a few of us, you know, who are in these spaces who use terms like deconstruction and reconstruction, but moreover than that. Um, people are resonating with um, the processes that other people, often public figures, are going through. Um, so there's a few people, there's a few people including, um, I think notably for one is uh, Rob Bell, who was uh, the big pastor, right, who comes out with a book and it, there's some public figures like that, or Rachel Held Evans, um, certainly what Michael Gunger has gone through with his process in the liturgist and, um, and yeah, and Mike McCart. Um, that hearing these, the journeys of other people, and especially around sort of public figures, uh, and we have studied a few of them um, in the research, that that has often offered like a um, sort of a catalyst for people to think about what they believe. You know, so if I'm if I'm sort of following somebody and I like what they're writing, or I sort of am, am interested in the books they're writing, or the the things like that, that I'm also interested in their story. And when they're processing through stuff, it can be a good catalyst to just kind of start that off ramp of saying, okay, well, how am I processing through this as well? Um, and that's why there's there are several podcasts out there that are just interviewing sort of talking to normal people. Um, there's one called Exvangelical where it began as just somebody talking to people that they knew. Um, not famous figures even, but just gathering stories of how people have gone through these different processes. So it really starts with a sense of that doubting your feeling, that uh, questioning that you're having, you're not alone in that, and that's an okay place to be. And that kind of often can grow from there into something else. Um, and then as you, people are discovering, then they sort of come across different resources and things like that. But I think with regards to that sort of secret sensitive, the podcasts have been a huge aspect of that. Because um, there are people who can step into something like a liturgist that can bridge a gap where it's just like, oh, I'm just interested in thinking a little bit more justice focused. And then just through conversations that they're having can introduce people into new sort of senses of belief. Yeah. I would second that. Um, the airing of grief is another one that has people, people call in and just tell their story. And so the whole podcast is pretty much people telling their stories 
whether it's the harm that they've experienced, whether it's their coming to a different type of faith, whatever, and that's the whole point of that podcast, is to construct a community in which people feel safe to tell their story, whether they believe in God or not, or whether they're agnostics, where some days, you know, I believe that there is something out there, big other, other days you don't, kind of. We'll use this one in the some mics up there. Hello. Oh, wow. Um, thanks, guys. So I've been in the deconstruction process for probably like 14 years, since I was 22. And um, something that's like really struck out to me, stuck out to me over the past couple of days is kind of what you mentioned, Jesse. Um, that like all of this talk about Iran and like conservative evangelicals and conservative Christians kind of happy about it because this is a bringing in prophecy and the end of times. And I go back to like feeling like a six year old of like, oh my God, were they right? <laughs> Am I going to hell? Like what? <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so I guess it's more of like a comment than anything else of like, I feel like I've been doing all this like really deep soul searching, like gut. A scared five-year-old. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, hard, right? Because if we grew up in those spaces or we had that, if you grew up in the 80s and evangelicalism, you know, Left Behind was a big thing, Late Great Planet Earth, thanks Hal Lindsey, um, way to misinterpret text, big time. Um, but uh, even though I know that cognitively, right, we know that cognitively that, that it's still in our bodies. And I think it's been helpful for me at least to look at people who are posting like, yes, this is what they think. Yes, they're Christo-fascist. This is their intention is to start Armageddon. Um, and I, I get reminded to read other narratives and, and remind myself that as a ritual to like read through, like this isn't actually how it works. And there's been some really amazing prayers that other people have been posting. But also I keep thinking about the story that my friend Josh wrote in a post-college about this guy who um, really wants Jesus to come back. So he starts Armageddon and God goes, that's not happening. That's not how this works. Um, so I keep thinking about that too, as like a counter to like, no, that's actually not how it works. In the text, as we read the text, the text keeps reminding us that God shows up not when people force God's hand, but that God shows up in God's own way. 
which is still doesn't deal with our trauma, but <laughs> every once in a while is like a helpful thing to remind, remember, like the Messiah who's supposed to save Israel shows up as a tiny baby, and we spent the last month talking about this tiny little human is what redeems the whole world in a completely power-driven structure. One other, just one other aspect I'll add to that. Um, as much as there's so much difficulty going on around, obviously for the last few days, around uh, what this year is gonna look like and what the violence is going on, um, one thing that we've discovered as we've been researching this is while the narratives of people doubting and questioning and coming into something else have been around for, I mean, for literally centuries, um, there seems to be an explode, like sort of an uptick in that since 2016 um, around the area of the election process and around um, the president getting elected. Um, and that there's a lot more people who are in space, that there's a lot of people who were in spaces that are now because of that and because these narratives are so tied in with their um, with their system of faith and with that that is causing also a lot of questioning and people seeking out where the number of voices that uh, of just people on Twitter and people in podcasts and things like that writing books that are talking about this it's sort of like it's pretty steady and then 2016 hit and then it all kind of like spiked up after that um, and we went from having like you know, two or three maybe progressive focused podcasts before that to like 40 or 50 that we have now of people who are just talking much more about justice and things like that um, and so uh, none of that to say obviously what's going on isn't traumatizing or is not very difficult, um, but just that made me think about that as well, that the political climate that we're in has been sort of catalyzing on both sides of the, um, both sides of it, you know, that there are people who are cheering for this and there are also people who it's uh, the last four years have been really triggering their, um, their sense of questioning, doubting and moving into something else. And there's also things like um, Glennon Doyle's Together Rising, where their active, activist group who you know, are gathering money for fires are engaged with people on the ground in Iraq and Iran who are, who are doing what, who are coming out of evangelicalism and doing what they can practically to counter that. And I think that's a place where you know, we, can, we can start to channel that childhood trauma into actively doing something to counter that narrative, you know, as, as you've done and as, as those of us who are triggered are trying to do is seeking ways to counterbalance that to you. Um, we have a question yeah, back. Yeah, Bryn, did you have a question? And we saw you, so can you come forward so we can get it on the mic and we'll make Or talk sure. loudly, whatever you want to yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the statement is kind of like the fear of recapitulating the the very static and um, concrete notions that you are coming out of, right? That's very locked and loaded um, as this is the one way, right? Um, the fear of becoming that other form of fundamentalist. And I think that's something we've also seen in this research, like, there is an awareness rate with um, the Airing of Grief podcast and with the liturgist. Both of those podcasts shifted their trajectories because they were recapitulating unintentionally um, patriarchy and white patriarchy. And so the, I think the distinction moving from a deconstruction process is that we're aware of that, right? You're aware that 
that's something, that's a concern, and that awareness actually is what helps us to not recapitulate it, because it's the thing that draws us back into um, grounding of, like, I don't want to do this. And sometimes it's the thing that kind of keeps us from stepping out, right? We don't want to misstep, so we don't necessarily say something or say, this is my root in the sand, uh, or my line in the sand. But I think that awareness, right, like, I kind of think about it in regard to that question of if, you, if you're sitting there going, am I being narcissistic? You're not a narcissist because a narcissist would, wouldn't even ask that question, right? So as we're thinking about am I, am, I being a fun, am I being fundamentalist, am I being concrete, even though we might have impulses or make a statement that comes off of that, there is something very reflective that's happened through our tearing down and our deconstruction process that actually gives us the tools to unpack that and to kind of sits in the back of our head like, you know, not, I don't want to use the bifurcating good angel, bad angel kind of notion, but it's that voice in the back of our head, our intuition reminding us that, that that's our core. Like as, as somebody who's moving away from evangelicalism, I, I constantly go back to the fact that for me, I'm a universalist, right? I'm a universalist Christian, whatever that means. And that means I radically believe that transformation is possible for every person through Christ, whatever that looks like. So I always go back to C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. And there are people like in his construction, who is it? Um, it's the French dude, Napoleon. Napoleon's going to sit on the outskirts of the hope of redemption for eons. But the way a universalist looks at that is, but Napoleon can always and will eventually choose to come into the community. But it's going to take him a lot longer. It's going to take, you know, Trump a lot longer because there's so much more to, to take apart because there's that empathetic space missing or there's that ego that's driving the, I don't want to be a part of that kind of thing. Um, and I think that's what grounds that, even when you're like, on Twitter and like it feels like Armageddon's happening and all of your worst fears, as Christine said, from your six-year-old trauma is coming out, that you go back and you, if you can take a moment, a ritual of stillness or a ritual of holding that space and being like, okay, I'm gonna breathe, because I, I teach my one-year-old when he's erratic that we're gonna take 10 breaths, one, two, three, because that's how we center our body and that's how we remain in our body. And and to remain in our body is the way that we connect with those reminders of um, this, isn't, this isn't how I want to be. This isn't my core nature. Um, I'm not going to respond triggering, you know. I'm going to, we can learn a lot about, I think, how to engage by thinking about being with small children who don't have the ability to process. And so the ways in which we learn to step away because we're angry or we take a breath is what we as adults can deal with in our own bodies, in our own spaces, when we're frustrated by evangelical, white evangelicals or the Christo-fascists being, being puppeting the White House or whatever it is. Yeah. Just to add to that, um, so some research I, I was doing over the last few days in sort of thinking about what we were gonna talk today. Um, I wanna read something from uh, one of the writers that I'd read. Um, and he was talking about 
sort of the deconstructive process as well. Um, and his quote is, uh, what you'll discover, I believe, is that although you may think you haven't been reconstructing at all uh, and have been focusing more on the deconstructing, the reality is that you've most likely changed in a number of deeply significant ways. But just because we've changed doesn't mean jettisoning entirely our past experiences. Somehow we need to discover healthy and productive ways in which to embrace and integrate our past lives into the person that we are in the process of becoming. Um, and that often in this, often people will say in, in their deconstruction and in their spirituality that their spirituality stays there for a long period of time. It just sort of becomes a lot more dormant. Uh, it sort of underlines uh, things and it, it sort of becomes at a lower level while they figure out what to do with it. Um, that it sort of becomes, it, it stays kind of beneath the surface while they're going through and discovering other writers or speakers or poets or musicians that are resonating with them that become part of their ongoing rituals um, as they move forward in a different way and then at some point may be able to reintegrate it into themselves. I so, think, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just gonna say, I think like as, as the music is curated here, right? that we sang you too, because there's something in those spaces, people who are not like, I'm a Christian, but are in the world, or not, I'm spiritual, but are in the world and are, are, po are throwing art out that has roots in their belief system, but isn't codified by their belief system, that allows us the space to breathe and to process, and you can love uh, you can look at, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, as a song about finding your true love, and you can see it as a song about your spiritual journey because it's so layered, and I think that's one of those things that is really helpful getting out of that box of, of the either-or of evangelicalism, the either-or that got infiltrated into Western Christianity through Greek thought, that we don't have to be sacred or secular, that the sacred and the secular live together just as the joy and the pain live together, and that to be holistic humans and to fulfill our creative, our created, um, the thing that we were created to be is to embrace that all. It is not to bifurcate one for a future space. And I think that's the, the difference with reconstruction is that we don't see heaven, which by the way, in the text, we don't go to heaven, we aren't meant for heaven, just FYI, um, but earth and this embodiment of, of joy and pain and the beauty of life in all of those facets, in, in the sorrow and the joy, is what leads us to engagement with the radical transformative person of Christ in the world. Thanks so much, and yeah, just to, to say yeah, a quick thing on that, since uh, that was honestly one of the first things that late started sowing the seeds, right? That would later become what I could understand as deconstruction is those kind of songs and being like, wait, this sounds way different and hits me on a way different level than the songs I sing like in church and for worship services, yet they still speak to like the depth of humanity and our soul and our searching and our faith and our unfaith and like the, the, whole, the whole thing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great point. We could keep talking about this all day, and I'm sure actually some of you might. Um, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna end us here, um, um, and I would ask you to join me in thanking uh, Jesse and Steve for talking this morning. Thank you very much.
there.